0: Well, it is so good to hear everyone lifting their voices today. Always an encouragement to me. I know a few moments ago that Matt and I uh, welcomed all of our guests, um, but I wanted to take a moment before we jump in and just say, if you if you're looking to get connected here whether this recently became your church family or you're interested in this becoming your church family, we do wanna invite you to stop by Next Steps, either out in the Commons or here in Auditorium 2 in the back of the room after the service over here in this corner. Um, There would be some folks there that would love to chat with you and and, and talk with you about taking your next step here at Fellowship. So many of you uh, have been doing that. That has been a real encouragement to us As a matter of fact, this morning, right now, uh, there's over 100 adults that are gathering to take their next step. They're getting plugged into community here at Fellowship Greenville by taking part in our community group uh, foundations class. We have about a dozen or so uh, new community groups that are launching in September, we absolutely love that. If you're sitting here going, oh man, we should have gotten into that and that's what's happening right now so we can't get into that, I'll let you know there's another one coming up in November so you can get signed up in that regard if you're interested in plugging into a community here. We realize that fellowship's a big place, that there are a lot of people. We do everything that we can from the staff, pastor, elder side of things to help people get assimilated into the life of our church family here. So we want you to take that next step. Other, Another way that a lot of you are getting plugged In is by serving this church family in a array of ways. Last week, our next gen team, so fellowship kids and student ministry, they let out in our Sunday morning service. Uh, Rob Marks did such a wonderful job of reminding us of the privilege and opportunity that we all have to love and serve and share uh, the hope of the gospel with the next generation and then practical and tangible ways that we can jump in and serve. And so if you're interested in learning more about how you can not just benefit from others serving you and your family, but you could also be a part of serving other people and their families, then uh, we would love for you to be a part of our Next Gen ministry. You can come this afternoon, as a matter of fact, at three o'clock today over in Auditorium One. We have something we do every August. It's called Leader Launch. And uh, you can show up. You don't even have to register. A lot of people have registered, but we would love for you just to come join us. You can learn about each of our ministries in the Next Gen uh, world and how you can get plugged in. Um, We have so many. I was having the team send me some of the numbers and we'll talk about this in the next couple of weeks, but we have so many people that are serving in Next Gen. but the fact of the matter is, is we have opportunities for dozens and dozens and dozens more of you to jump in in that regard. I don't know if you've looked around even today. As fellowship kids and in the middle school and whatnot, folks are stepping up into their next grade level that they're a part of. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot happening. There's a lot of kiddos around, and we absolutely love that. I'll talk more about serving and plugging in in a few weeks. I am so thankful for the opportunity today, however, to pick back up in our summer series entitled, Here Is Your God, where we're taking 12 Sundays to talk about a few of the many attributes of God. There are a multitude of good reasons to spend our time contemplating the attributes of God. But uh, I was scrolling through uh, Twitter about a month and a half ago and I came across a tweet by a pastor by the name of Eric Reed, and it was so good I saved it and I threw it into my notes because I knew I'd be teaching today. And this is the quote. Check this out. The constant study of the attributes of God is one of the most fruitful disciplines a Christian can have. Why? Because one of our greatest temptations is to make the triune God into our own image. That's real good, let me read it again. The constant study of the attributes of God is one of the most fruitful disciplines a Christian can have. Why? Because one of our greatest temptations is to make the triune God into our own image. Now that is a compelling reason for us to stop and talk about who God is and how we think about God. As we have repeatedly said throughout the series, there are so many distorted ideas about God And there's no shortage of people who desire a God that likes everything they like and is okay with everything they're okay with. As Tim Keller, who's a pastor in New York City, is famous for saying, if your God never disagrees with you, you may be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. And it's not just pastors that are talking and thinking about this, obviously. The 18th century French philosopher Voltaire said, God created man in his own image, and man has returned the favor. (laughs) So I think to stop and regularly process and contemplate who God is, who God says that he is, is of vital importance as we walk through life because without regularly hearing from the Spirit of God through the Word of God in the midst of the people of God in regards to who God is, we can find ourselves projecting all of our own personal thoughts and wants and attitudes towards him. As a matter of fact, let's do that. Let's stop and think for a moment. I want us to think that through. I don't want to rush past it. You might be tempted to think that you don't really project your thoughts about who God should be or who you think God is upon God. You might not think, if you don't take time and think about it, that there are seasons and moments when you articulate those thoughts to others when you talk about God. But my guess is you do, and we do, more than we realize. Especially if we don't acknowledge that we are all tempted to regularly do it. Like when, we are, when we're willing to acknowledge that we have the same tendencies as everyone else to attempt to make God into our own image, then coming to the scriptures with an open heart and mind, and declaring, God, show me yet again who you are, who you say you are, and who I am because of who you are. That should be a regular rhythm of the life of every Christ follower. And the attribute we're talking about this morning is an attribute that undoubtedly helps us to see clearly who God is and who we are in light of who God is. Because I want us to take some time this moment to, uh, this morning to, to ponder and contemplate the omnipotence of God, the power of God. And there are many different avenues we could consider in regards to the power of God, but in keeping with what we've already uh, discussed this morning, I want to talk about it from the perspective of God in relation to us, the Creator, God and His creation, you, me, us. The limitless, unique Non-comparable, extraordinary power of God. Absolutely nothing God can't do in us. Those He created, full of limits. I think when we think about the the power and uh, the power of God, we might think of words like strength or force, or mighty, and those words would definitely be accurate in describing our God. The psalmist constantly talk about the strength and might of God, but we must also consider that when talking about his power, we aren't simply talking about strength from a physical power capacity. Think about this with me. I know a lot of you know it, but I want to contemplate it for a moment. He spoke, he spoke the universe into existence. Many of you are familiar with Genesis 1. Here's a quick recap based on what we're discussing today. And I love how the New Living Translation articulates this. Genesis 1 3, it'll be on the screens. It says, Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And verse 6 says this Then God said, Let there be space between the waters to separate the waters of the heavens from the waters of the earth. And this is what happened. Verse nine, then God said, let the waters beneath the sky flow together into one place so dry ground may appear. And that is what happened. Verse 14, then God said, let lights appear in the sky to separate the day from the night. Let them be signs to mark the seasons, days and years. Let these lights in the sky shine down on the earth. And that is what happened. Verse 24, then God said, let the earth produce every sort of animal, each producing offspring of the same kind, livestock, small animals that scurry along the ground and wild animals. And that is what happened. Verse 25, Then uh, 26, then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. And then God said, look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all fruit trees for your food, and I've given every green plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, and the small animals that scurry along the ground, everything that has life. And that is what happened. Familiar story, right? The creation account. Over and over again, then God said, and that is what happened. Or we read it this way in Psalm 33, verse 6. It says, the Lord merely spoke and the heavens were created. He breathed the word and all the stars were born. He assigned the sea its boundaries and locked the oceans in vast reservoirs. Let the whole world fear the Lord and let everyone stand in awe of him for when he spoke, the world began. It appeared at his command. Unless we think that this all-powerful creating is tiresome work for him, Isaiah 40 reminds us, have you never heard? Have you never understood The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never, ever grows weak or weary. You see, he's not like you and me after a full afternoon of yard work, on a hot summer day, sitting on the porch, sweating through our shirt, reaching for a cold beverage to quench our thirst. He simply just stopped speaking when he was done. That's it. As one author wrote, by the mere exercise of his will, God produces whatever he wills. That's omnipotence. And so maybe, just maybe, you have the tendency tendency at times, I, I know I do, to become desensitized or callous or unfazed at the glory of our all-powerful, omnipotent God. He spoke it all into existence from nothing. I think we're called to contemplate and meditate upon that kind of power and do so while thinking of ourselves, thinking of our humanity, thinking of our limits, thinking of our inability, thinking of our powerlessness, our frailty. Or maybe it's not that we are indifferent as we ponder the power of God, but that we are easily dissatisfied or discouraged or despondent at how the power of God, the omnipotence of God, plays out in the everydayness of our lives. Are you quick to complain? Are you quick to blame? Are you quick to anger, yet call it frustration to appease your conscience because it doesn't sound quite as bad as anger? Are you quick to let the circumstances of life drive your view of God as opposed to allowing what God says about who he is to impact how we navigate the circumstances of our lives? Are you willing to acknowledge at moments and at times you're full of yourself? Full of pride. Arrogant enough to often think and sometimes say, God got it wrong and I'm right. So full of self-pity that you would often think and sometimes say, God has forgotten me. God does not care. God can't change it. Well, and what will not be a shock to you, you and I are not the only ones to struggle with this. We aren't the only ones who regularly need the reminder of who the creator is and who we are as the created. In the Old Testament, there's a guy by the name of Job, Many of you would be familiar with his story. If you want to, you can open your Bibles up to Job chapter 38. I'll give you a little background as you turn there. Job is known as being a man full of integrity. The scriptures actually say about him that he was blameless and upright, that he feared God and turned away from evil. How about that for how you would describe someone? And then utter devastation came upon him. He lost everything. His children die. In a moment, his possessions and his wealth are gone. And then he's afflicted with physical sores from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. To make things even more interesting, God allowed it to happen. And Job's friends show up And you can read more about those interactions if you want to study through the whole book. For this morning, I want to read and spend a little time in chapter 38 towards the end of the book. God speaks to Job in such a way that reminds him of the incomprehensible power of God and the rightful order of creator and created. I'm gonna read this. You can follow along in your Bibles or the verses will also be up on our screens. It says this in verse one of Job 38. Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. Really quickly, uh, that's not simply a tornado. That's a manifestation of God himself. It says this in verse two. Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself like a man because I have some questions for you and you must answer them. We'll stop just for a second here and then I'm just gonna read it all and I'm not gonna stop and that's on purpose. (laughs) God has some questions for Job to consider. But his first question here in verse two, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Well, that immediately draws the line in the conversation of creator and created of powerful and weak, of wise and ignorant. And then in verse three, you must answer or get ready to answer. In Hebrew, that would read, um, gird up your loins, which is the picture of tucking a garment between your legs and into your belt for a task that's gonna require uh, a little bit, a lot of effort. Maybe running or fighting in a battle or lifting something heavy. So God saying to Job, all right, get ready, here we go. And again, I can't teach all of Job this morning, but just side note, earlier in Job 31, Job had said, let the Almighty answer me. So that's where we've been, and now you're getting ready to see where we're headed. This is what it says in verse four. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Who determined its dimensions and stretched out the surveying line? What supports its foundations and who laid its cornerstone as the morning stars sang together and all of the angels shouted for joy? Who kept the sea inside its boundaries as it burst from the womb and as I clothed it with clouds and wrapped it in thick darkness? For I locked it behind barred gates limiting its shores. I said, this far and no farther will you come. Here your proud waves must stop. Have you ever commanded the morning to appear and caused the dawn to rise in the east? Have you made daylight spread to the ends of the earth to bring an end to the night's wickedness? As the light approaches, the earth takes shape like clay pressed beneath a seal. It is robed in brilliant colors. The light disturbs the wicked and stops the arm that is raised in violence. Have you explored the springs from which the seas come? Have you explored their depths? Do you know where the gates of death are located? Have you seen the gates of utter gloom? Do you realize the extent of the earth? Tell me about it if you know, Job. Where does light come from and where does darkness go? Can you take each to its home? Do you know how to get there? But of course, you know all of this, for you were born before it was all created. You are so very experienced. Have you visited the storehouses of the snow or seen the storehouses of hail that I have reserved them as weapons for the time of trouble, for the day of battle and war? Where is the path to the source of light? Where is the home of the east wind? Who created a channel for the torrents of rain? Who laid out the path for the lightning? Who makes the rain fall on barren land in a desert where no one lives? Who sends rain to satisfy the parched ground and make the tender grass spring up? Does the rain have a father? Who gives birth to the dew? Who's the mother of the ice? Who gives birth to the frost from the heavens? For the water turns to ice as hard as a rock, and the surface of the water freezes. Can you direct the movement of the stars? Binding the cluster of Pleiades? Or loosening the cords of Orion? Can you direct the constellations through the seasons? Or guide the bear with her cubs across the heavens? Do you know the laws of the universe? Can you use them to regulate the earth? Can you shout to the clouds and make it rain? Can you make lightning appear and cause it to strike as you direct? Who gives intuition to the heart and instinct to the mind? Who is wise enough to count all the clouds? Who can tilt the water jars of heaven when the parched ground is dry and the soil has hardened into clods? Can you stalk prey for a lioness and satisfy the young lion's appetites as they lie in their dens or crouch in the thicket? Who provides food for the ravens when their young cry out to God and wander about in hunger? Ah, Job 38. It's quite the litany of questions from God. They seem to just build upon each other in such a heavy way, yes? Where were you? Have you... Do you? Can you? And by the way, God keeps going with the questions. Chapter 39, give it a read later. Chapter 40, even more. And chapter 41. And the questions are rhetorical, each one driving home the point that our God is an omnipotent, all-powerful God, unparalleled and unmatched. They are meant to help Job see who God is and who he is in light of who God is. Hey Job, here is your God. Remember how small and frail you are. I want you to remember how much you don't know, how little you can actually do. And we see Job's response, In chapter 40 and again in chapter 42, I just wanted to read these sections to you. Chapter uh, 40, verses one through five, after the first round of questions. verse one, then the Lord said to Job, do you still wanna argue with the Almighty? You're God's critic. Do you have the answers? Then Job replied to the Lord, I am nothing. (laughs) How could I ever find the answers? I will cover my mouth with my hand. I have said too much already. I have nothing more to say. God's question about whether or not Job wants to still argue or be a critic is again is grounded in Job's criticism of God, which I know again we aren't walking through the whole book, but if you want to go back and read it, Job 9, Job 16, Job 21, Job's been critical. He's wanted to make his case, make his complaints to God to see how God would answer. But when Job is given that chance, he decides, nah. After all the questions of chapter 38 and 39, when Job says, I'm nothing, that Hebrew phrase is, I am little. To which God says, great, I got more questions for you. So chapter 40 and chapter 41, and then you come to chapter 42, and this is what it says in the first six verses of Job 42. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do anything and that no one can stop you. Earlier you asked, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? Well, it is I, and I was talking about things that I knew nothing about. Things far too wonderful for me. You said, Listen and I will speak. I have some questions for you and you must answer them. Well, I had only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. I take back everything I said and I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. Job says, You're sovereign. Over all of it, like after this, there is this interaction, there is the acknowledgement from the created, Job, to the creator, God, I'm sorry. Repentance, an acknowledgement of the power and the omnipotence and the sovereignty of God. And listen, this isn't just a conversation about the power of God in relation to creation and nature. It's all the things. We could cover a lot of different ones this morning. You want to go kings and kingdoms? Omnipotent? All powerful? Over it all? The Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whom he wishes, Daniel 4. For not from the east, nor from the west, nor from the desert comes exaltation, but God is the judge. He puts down one, he exalts the other. Psalm 75. The king's heart, the leader's heart, is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. Proverbs 21. It's about his power, his omnipotence over all the things. Creation, nature, kings, kingdoms, your day, my day, our days, the everyday, the enemy. Contrary to what you may think or what might have been told to you by others, God and Satan are not in a MAA fight where God barely holds on for the win. You know that, right? Satan was booted out of heaven. He was cursed in the garden. He was defeated at the cross. He will be destroyed. And it is there, the cross and the empty tomb, where the power of God really does change everything. As author Paul Tripp says, Christianity is a resurrection religion. God's grace is a resurrection power. I love that. You see, it's not just that he is creator. He is that. But what's so unbelievable to me is that he's also (laughs) recreated us because of the resurrection of Jesus. Equally awe-inspiring When you want to talk about ultimate power, think about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In the book, Do You Believe?, the author says this, Jesus was in the tomb long enough to be certifiably dead. Rising again after death meant that the synapses in the brain suddenly began to fire. Electric charges fired through his nervous system. The muscles in his heart started to pump. Fresh blood coursed through his veins. His muscles suddenly became soft and flexible. His organs turned on and functioned in symmetry with one another. His eyes became moist and able to focus. He suddenly could breathe and smell and taste and feel. His balance and orientation returned. His ability to relate and communicate instantly turned on. This is a limited summary of everything that had to happen all at once for Jesus to be able to get up Fold his grave clothes and walk out of the tomb. Here is what it means to be almighty. No effort was required for Christ to rise again. That is omnipotent. That is power, that's resurrection power. So this week, as I was studying and processing, I was just contemplating what our response should be to the power of God. How should we, as the creation, respond to the creator? And I think we could say a multitude of things here, but I just wanted to suggest or remind us of a few. The first would be this. I would encourage you to behold him. behold, it means to, to notice, to look upon, to gaze upon, to commit your attention to. And the encouragement for us to behold him is because we all, every one of us at times, we find ourselves doubting the power of God. For you, the doubt might come by the observation of the broken world all around us. Or your doubt may be centered around your very own world that happens in this moment to be quite broken. A marriage that is stuck. A child that is walking in some deep waters. Or some other practical, if you are all powerful, I need, to, I need you to show up, God, type situation. And maybe, just maybe, from your perspective, he has not shown up. Therefore, maybe he isn't powerful. Or maybe for some of you, even worse, I know that he is powerful and he just doesn't care. And I think just that acknowledgement, again, is being honest before the Lord and honest with ourselves and honest in community to go, you know what, I think we're all a lot more like Job than we're often willing to admit. If you read through your Bible, you'll see from the prophet Isaiah, David, the apostle Paul, and others, they all speak of beholding the glory, the beauty, the power of our God. And in beholding his power, his omnipotence, his glory and beauty, you might think like others have, not so much about, hey God, why aren't you showing up for me? because all those people and a lot of others walk through some really difficult things. But instead, who am I that you, the omnipotent God of the universe, would think of me? Right? Like David says it in Psalm 8, when I look at the night sky and when I see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you set in place, What are mere mortals that you should think about them, human beings that you would care for them? Yet he does. David goes on to say, you made them, us, only a little lower than God and crowned them, us, with glory and honor. What does does practical beholding look like for you? I think this is a piece of it. I think gathering together on the regular with brothers and sisters in Christ to open up the scriptures and to sing the songs that we sing, to have our heart and mind refocused on uh, creator-created relationship is really, really important. I would also say, if you were willing to acknowledge it, maybe even something like this, even the gathering, uh, gathering together on a regular basis, maybe this for you has just been something you go through the motions on. This Sunday, is what we do. Get in the car. And I know not everyone, so don't hear what I'm not saying. I know that not everyone is the same in regards to demonstrative expression. At the same time it is amazing isn't it the words we sing to open up the scriptures and hear from the spirit of God through the word of God in the midst of the people of God maybe it is in creation I know we were talking about golf to kick off the service this morning we were making some jokes but for me Walking beautiful golf courses is a time that I, am remember, I, that I remember who God is and who I am in light of who God is as I look around. Or just in the everydayness of life, like do you, have you, would you pray? Father God, would you in the everydayness of life captivate my heart and mind with your power and your omnipotence? That's an okay thing to pray. And what do you see and hear and observe when that becomes a regular rhythm of your prayer life? I don't know. Or what it would be for you? For me, it was waking up in the middle of the night last night when those thunderstorms rolled through, knowing that I was teaching on this today. It's driving to downtown Greenville, down 385, and going under Haywood Road and cresting the hill, and just all you can see is what? The mountains. It's observing your children grow in the Lord. Behold the power of God. And beholding him, and the reason I think that's a real critical, practical step, in beholding him, you will discover that the all-powerful, omnipotent God has moved towards you in Jesus so you can trust him. Right? Right? Like even when you step in here, you know what our goal is every week? Actually, our goal is not that you like it or like us. Great message, didn't really get anything out of that one. Love the music, hated it, Oof. That's really not our deal, to be honest with you. We wanna behold him and we wanna be reminded of Jesus. We wanna see Jesus, that's it for us. Because in seeing Jesus, you'll be reminded that you can trust him. I mean, I know I read Job 38, and it sounded even kind of, you know, it was kind of harsh, wasn't it? It's was like, man, I feel like my dad had similar conversations with me back in the day. <laughs> but how kind of God even to have the conversation with Job? Right? Wasn't this super kind and gracious? Sure it was. Gird up your loins, boy. I got some things to say to you. But it was very kind of him. As you behold him, you'll see that he really does love you. That he cherishes you, that he sees you. The real you. The weak and frail and limited you the not all-knowing or powerful you, the doubting you, the anxious you, and you can still trust him because he has moved towards you in and through Jesus. That is resurrection power. It does change everything. It has changed you. The apostle Paul in Ephesians 3, he reminds the Christ followers in Ephesus about this. And I just threw this into my notes this morning. I was up in my office reading a little bit more through some scripture and I read this and I was like, I'm gonna read this over everybody. So here's what I want you to do because I don't have it on the screens. You can bow your heads and close your eyes. I wanna read this prayer, my prayer for you. Just listen to these words that Paul uses. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God amen behold him trust him even as you are invited to abide in him many of us here at fellowship are a part of a community bible reading plan and all of you are welcome to be a part of it you can find it on our website on our app But here's what that means. That means that a lot of us are reading the same sections of scripture each day. A regular rhythm of beholding him. And this past week, many of us read John 15 where Jesus talks so much about abiding. He uses the allegory of vineyard and vine and Jesus says this, I am the vine, you are the branches, the one who remains or abides in me and I in him produces much fruit. What a beautiful reminder of the overwhelming invitation to walk with, to follow, to grow in Christ. God is all-powerful, omnipotent, creator, sustainer, ruler over all, yet says, I want relationship with you. You can trust me. Come abide in me. Now, you might be asking, Jason, why does it seem to be a challenge for us to live in the invitation to behold and trust and abide? And I believe it's because um, we as the creation of the creator often struggle with what humanity has always struggled with. There are two lies that have been around from the very beginning. One is the lie of autonomy The other is the lie of self-sufficiency. Those are the uh, mottos of the culture that you and your family and your kids swim in 24-7. Autonomy says that your life belongs to you. It's all about you. So whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want it. The other, self-sufficiency says you're strong enough and powerful enough and smart enough to do it all, whatever it is you're doing. I would love to tell you that you don't find that kind of thought in the evangelical church in America but I'd be lying to you. That's the reason I say we need to um, be super intentional about regularly coming to the Lord. Remind me of who you are, who you say you are, and who you say I am in light of who you are. Because the world I'm living in is telling me autonomy and self-sufficiency, autonomy and self-sufficiency, autonomy and self-sufficiency. Unless we're hearing from the Spirit of God through the Word of God, that's showing up in a lot of different things that we pick up that we consider good things. And it's the same lie. And those lies fly in the face of our omnipotent God. And they are in every way the exact opposite of beholding, trusting, and abiding. Lord, I got nothing except for you flies in the face of what we hear all the time, which is be whatever you want to be. You're strong enough to do whatever it is you want to do. And yet God, through Jesus, draws near and says, come behold me, trust me, and abide in me. So what does it look like when a community of Christ followers behold and trust and abide? I believe it looks like a community of grace-filled people. I believe it looks like a people who are passionately pursuing life with Jesus. A group of people who are pursuing mission with Jesus. It looks like a group of people who long for those in their spheres of influence to know the peace and joy and rest that is found in beholding and trusting and abiding. Beholding, trusting, and abiding in the one that holds it all together. For he alone created it and sustains it. For his glory and for his purposes. So Fellowship Greenville, here is your God. He is all-powerful. He is omnipotent and moves towards you, inviting you to behold him, trust him, and abide in him. And I've yet to find anything that is a sweeter invitation than that. Would you pray with me? Father God, for the opportunity to gather today with our brothers and our sisters, people we know really well, people we don't know well at all, (laughs) to contemplate your omnipotence, we thank you. Would you forgive us for the moments that we take it for granted? The moments and seasons of life when we actually are callous or indifferent in regards to your glory and splendor, sovereignty and power, would you be so kind as to show us just to be honest with ourselves and before you of our tendency. our tendency not to uh, see you for who you are or who we are in light of who you are. Meet us in our doubts. Forgive us for thinking that you've not been paying attention, that you've walked away or turned away or disregarded, our state and give us eyes to behold you hearts to trust you and abide in you and in doing so Father God, would you draw people to yourself because they observe and see there's something different about how we're navigating the things that we're navigating. That they would uh, come to know you and then link arms with a community of grace. Pursuing life with you and mission with you for your glory and fame. Amen.